Thursday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good one out there. Good show. Even if you're not having a great day so far, good show coming up. Maybe brighten your day a little bit. Jeff Day from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk about a recent piece he did on franchise valuations in the Twin Cities. A historical perspective, kind of a look at where sports are, um, you know, across the country in just kind of the landscape of how much these values have skyrocketed, soared in recent years. So hope you enjoy that conversation. Um, get to some twin stuff. They finally got some hits with the bases loaded, so that was good. Maybe a little Aaron Rodgers stuff at the end of the show that I wrote about on Wednesday. Uh, first, though, what did I miss? Got to keep talking Bally Sports North and the Twins because there could be a ruling today on whether the Twins are going to remain on Bally Sports North for the rest of this year. Testimony on Wednesday in Houston got a little testy. Our Phil Miller was there. Bit of serendipity. The Twins are in Houston right now playing the Astros, or were at least until Wednesday night. Phil went over to the hearing, and the the testimony there was very interesting. The upshot of it is that a judge is supposed to rule today on you know whether Bally's, Bally Sports North can keep showing Twins games um, without paying the Twins as you know, as much as they they should be, or whether if Bally misses this misses the next payment or doesn't pay them enough, if the rights will revert back to. Major League Baseball, essentially, and they will start taking over broadcasts of the games as they did for the Padres recently when those rights reverted earlier this week. The big thing from this that I took away, though, was just the animosity between the two sides, especially baseball's animosity towards Diamond Sports and the Bally Sports channels that has been kind of simmering, it sounds like, for multiple years, for maybe four years, ever since they took over these channels in 2019 when they purchased them ostensibly from Fox Sports. Um, they bought them from Disney. It was kind of a complicated sale, but the Fox Sports was the holders for many years. Um, so basically, reading this, you can kind of see that there was trouble from the start. Rob Manfred, Commissioner of Baseball, gave a lot of pretty interesting testimony. Um, the most interesting kind of fact-based testimony or you know numbers-based testimony that he gave was that he revealed that clubs, if these rights revert to Major League Baseball, they will pay clubs at least up to 80% of what they were supposed to be paid by uh, by Diamond Sports. So the Twins, for instance, if they were supposed to get north of $40 million this season, which we've reported, um, they would get at least 80% of that. They're not just going to lose a whole bunch of money on this deal if the rights revert. You know, We're talking about some money, but not a catastrophic amount of money, not amount of money that's going to hurt them. You know, in the long run, when it comes to payroll this season, with a lot of with a lot of uh, players on the books, so that was interesting. That piece of it in Phil Miller's story, but just some of the quotes from Rob Manfred, just kind of understanding um, just how much the the sides don't like each other. Um, you know, basically, Diamond Sports is claiming that uh, fair market value uh, of these deals has gone way down uh, as much as fifty percent in the last decade. Um, because of cord cutting, other other things. Rob Manfred basically saying, nope, 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 that's not true. His quote, if you say in one year of a deal, well, we're losing money, that ignores that over the course of the agreement, there are um, ebbs and flows. Profit margins were previously well in excess of 20%. Our view is that fair market value is still equal to or equal or above to what teams are owed. 
He's talking about kind of negotiations with uh, with Bally's early on too, and how that kind of set set a bad tone with Diamond Sports. He basically said, um, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to trying to get too much money for him, trying to um, create an uneasy relationship. He said they were talking about gambling, ticketing, merchandising rights they didn't have. We got a lot of complaints from clubs. Um, someone from Sinclair came to visit Manfred in his New York offices and said, hey, I'm going to try to squeeze your clubs. I'm going to put Diamond Sports into bankruptcy, then selectively terminate contracts. It ended badly, Manfred said. He wasn't happy, and neither was I. To say we're going to squeeze you on rights fees, it did not sit well with us. So that right there maybe tells you a lot about how we got to this point, not just that Bally's you know, and Diamond Sports got into the situation with precarious contracts, but because of the way they handled things with Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball got to a point where they said, wait, why are we dealing with these guys? Why should we put up with this? If this is the if this is the approach they're going to take, let's change our course. Let's, you know, let's put them on the hot seat. Let's let's take over broadcasts of these games. You know, if if rights revert, let's be ready for that. Let's let's create a new model where let's try to get as many rights as we can across the league and create a much more fair and equitable compensation package for teams across the way. So this is all very interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to you too. I think the upshot is you're not gonna turn on your TV today and find the twins on a different channel, but you could turn on your TV sometime later this season. There's a there's another payment that's due per Phil Miller's reporting on July 1st. If that payment is not made and the judge rules in a certain way, and again, that's expected to be today, um, there could be a reverting of those rights, you know, in a, within a month, and that would be pretty interesting. That would be a uh, that would be kind of a, a pressure point that needed to be relieved, and at that point, Major League Baseball could take over, uh, could take over broadcast rights. So we'll see what happens with the Twins, all just kind of this fascinating swirl still of what might happen what could happen we've talked about it plenty but plenty of advancement on uh, on the subject this week so i wanted to keep you posted and updated on that please do go read phil miller's story star tribune star tribune.com while you're at it read his other story because you wrote about the twins 8-2 win over the astros they finally got a couple hits with the bases loaded they only had five hits this year with the bases loaded before they got a couple of them on uh, on on uh, on Wednesday night, and that sure helps the bottom line, right? If you were, they're now seven for forty nine with the bases loaded this year. That means they only have five hits and almost fifty at bats coming into the game. But Donovan Solano uh, had a two run single with the bases loaded, broke an zero for fourteen streak with the bases loaded, hadn't had a hit with the bases loaded in more than two weeks, and then Ryan Jeffers. First extra base hit of the season with the bases loaded. It's now June. It was the last day of May when he did it. He knocked in two runs. It was a ground rule double. So there you go. So a couple of big, big hits for the Twins with the bases loaded. Louis Varlin, seven scoreless innings. Jorge Lopez, another terrible outing. That's kind of the only black mark on this game um, that, that kind of puts it into uh, the negative territory. He gave up two quick home runs, walked a batter, hit a batter frustrated in the dugout afterwards you could see him punching the water cooler not good that's a guy they need to be better that's a guy they're they're counting on to be one of their top end guys at the end of games um you know fortunately this came in a game where it was more he could he could get some work in it was you know a blowout at the time and it didn't end up costing them but man they got to get him going but mayo if they can get hits with the bases loaded it proves that anything is possible they can turn things around at some point maybe lopez is just going through something and he will figure it out. I don't know. 
They figured it out with the bases loaded, got a series win over Houston that they badly needed, stayed two up in the American League Central, and hey, they're better now than the worst team in the American League East for a while. All five teams in the AL East were better than all five teams in the AL Central, but they are now a half game ahead of the Boston Red Sox. So break out the champagne. Go uh, go read that story, starttribune.com, and uh, check out all of Phil Miller's good work from Houston on Wednesday. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring on Jeff Day right now, Star Tribune writer and editor. Um, Jeff had an interesting piece earlier this week on franchise values of all the different teams in the Twin Cities, the major pro teams with, you know, the Vikings, Twins, Timberwolves, Wild, Lynx, Minnesota United. And it was just kind of an interesting look, Jeff. Um, I don't think there was any particular time peg to it. It wasn't any particular, like, you know, Forbes does these valuations every year, at least of, of the of the major teams. So we kind of get a glimpse of it and you kind of see it over the years, like, wow, like, hey, they're worth more and more and more and more. And you kind of, you kind of gathered that all up into one place and took a look at the history and kind of where we all started with it. So I thought that was interesting. We can talk a little bit about that and maybe where these things are going. Um, I always like to talk to you first, though, about kind of what made you curious about this subject and kind of got you going down this path. Um, well, Chris Carr, sports editor, and I had talked at some point about this almost a year ago. And then, um, you know how it goes, other things get in the way, all of a sudden it kind of came back up. I just remember thinking that um, it probably stemmed from the Timberwolves, you know, pending sale, this right. $1.5 billion sale. Um, and I had done a little bit of, I went to the you know, a state courthouse when Meyer Orbach was suing Glenn Taylor over the idea of, did he just sell the Timberwolves, you know, and that was this whole thing. And it kind of got me just thinking about the nature of these transactions, how monumental they are, and how the values just exponentially increase, seemingly, um, for these franchises. And then it came back to us with the sale of the uh, Washington football team and the fact that the NFL owners meeting was happening here. And there was some early speculation that maybe that sale was going to be approved here. Uh, last week. Um, but anyway, it just became kind of an interesting forum to look back and and think about how did this happen? Where is it going? Um, you know, with it's a big question. Why are the Minnesota Timberwolves worth one point five billion dollars? How is yes. that? How do we come to that point? How you know, how does the Washington football team, a team with no pedigree? Oh, you know, a no. franchise that is it's not revered. It's not the Packers. It's not I mean, the, they, they have some history, but not a recent true. history, not, not a re- not a history. recent history. Well, not not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I remember the biggest one for me in recent memory was when the L.A. Clippers sold for two billion dollars. Right. I remember going, "Wait, what? The yeah. who? The Clippers for like a team that, a team that's never even been to the conference finals? <laughs> I don't think, or, or the or the or the NBA finals at least. Maybe they made one conference finals. I can't Maybe. remember. Who? I mean, either way, for twenty years, much like the Wolves, they were a la- so. Yes. How do we get to? Um, this sale for $1.5 billion to the Wolves. So that's kind of where it started, just looking at these numbers and thinking, well, what has this been like in Minnesota? What has the history been like? Um, that's where this all kind of started. 
Well, and it's fascinating if you go back far enough, which you did, because, you know, a lot of these teams, like especially the Vikings as an expansion team, you know, more than 60 years ago, Mm. like sports are so different back then. Like you don't have, you know, what's driven a lot of these values, I would say, is a lot of the the TV money, right? The media rights and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's not just that simple, but you, you go back and like these teams used to be far more dependent on their own success their success at the gate you had to attract fans in order to survive you had teams folding starting up kind of all the time and especially in these kind of like secondary challenger type leagues um so to think of the fact that the vikings started for a million dollars essentially right that was the that was the money they put up front to start them um that was kind of the beginning of your piece and now they are worth you know Two uh, two three billion dollars. Like you know, even if we adjust for four, four billion, four billion. Four even billion. if we adjust for inflation, um, which has been you know, uh, inflation's been been pretty been pretty rough lately. But Jeff, I don't think we can. <laughs> I don't think we get from one million to four billion in sixty years, uh, just accounting for inflation. Like, how do we? It's it's kind of hard to wrap your head around how much these franchises have increased in value. Even just even that's why part of it was going through the sale history. And one of the things about these, you know, our local teams is they don't sell often. I mean, they just don't change hands that often. And but the Vikings, you know, 600 million in 2005 that we can call that recent history. I know time flies, but that's recent history. And you're talking about a jump from 600 million at that point to now being valued at four billion. My guess would be that after this Washington commander's sale, it will not surprise me if the next list of valuations teams are another jump in that in that uh you know, whatever you want to call it, predictive level of what a franchise might be worth. But um, when you, what you talked about there is the truest thing to me, which is there was a long period of time where ownership of a sports franchise seemed dependent on the market that it was in. It seemed dependent on ticket sales. It seemed dependent on stadiums being built. It seemed dependent on all kinds of things that were like directly relational to the team and its market. I do not know if that is the same right now. It feels much different. Um, I talked with this guy who was so, so smart, David M. Carter, who's a, you know, he works as a professor at USC in their school of business. He's been a sports consultant for 30 years. I talked to him for a long time because I was like, who knows about this stuff? Who is, right. who is this person? And he was what he was. He's an expert in this field. And he talked a lot about that, that it used to be that franchises had a sort of narrow mindset on where their revenue streams could be developed from. And that has widened enormously in the past few decades. And in his mind, there's a lot of room for that to continue to grow. There are all kinds of emerging marketplaces where you can see it. You see, we see it every year. The yeah. Wolves are going to where this offseason going to Dubai, I think. They're going yep. are they going to Dubai. You have the Vikings going over to London. You have um you know, Major League Baseball trying to get into European markets. The NBA in China has been a hot topic for decades for all right. you know, for all kinds of reasons. Um, and so, and now we have, of course, the advent of sports gambling, all of this going nationwide. What does that mean for sports? I was watching the broadcast of uh, the Celtics and Heat, and we're getting, you know, in-game promos for the fan duel, moving the money line, all of this stuff, right. connections with all that. So I think... Um, these emerging sort of exterior markets, whatever you want to call it, things that have nothing to do with me buying a ticket to go down to Target Field or to U.S. Bank Stadium um, has changed the dynamic of this. And that's why you see owners, and this goes back, I will say this, the desire for rich people 
to buy a sports franchise, I think has always been the same. I think that is something that that has been stagnant throughout all of this. But the reality of owning it maybe has changed a little bit, meaning that once you got a hold of it, they treated it more like kind of a business, a year to year relationship to their bottom line. And right. I, I don't know if that's still the case, but it doesn't seem to be. It seems like now you can really say, hey, I'm going to buy this and it's going to it's going to grow. Yeah. You think of it more as an, an investment. You probably think about it you know, still in the same way as like. I want to own this team. You know, some some owners are almost like super fans to a degree, and they they yeah. want to be a part of it because they think it's cool and they like the sport, they like the team. Um, you know, they're invested in the product. I think you could say like the wild owner Craig Leopold is a little bit like that. He he runs it as a business, but he's very much invested in the team's you know on ice success. I don't know if that's always the same across ownership, but you're right. The investment piece of it is is so much different. It's you're right. It's not like a a day-to-day or year-to-year operational thing. It's a, hey, we might take some operational losses here and there, but look at how this curve is accelerating upward. Like this thing, even if we buy it now, um, it might be, it might increase, you know, two, three, four hundred percent in value even in the next five years. Yeah. And that, uh, one of the things that struck me too, and just going back to kind of the, every owner, uh, the first owner of every team in the state was local. Right. I mean, I'm talking about now we'd have to say the poll ads, but the, the senators moved here. So, OK, we have yeah. kind of a weird juxtaposition there. But the first team to the first person to buy the twins was local. Um, the first people to create the expansion Timberwolves were local. The Vikings had a group of five owners. The Viking structure was really interesting when I was reading about that. Five different owners that represented the state. You had an owner from Duluth. You had an owner from Minneapolis. You had one from St. Paul. You had like an outstate owner. You had Southern Minnesota. It was like the whole state's buying this team. We're all all shipping in a little bit. Um, And now you look at our owners. And for the most part, I think right now, um, outside of Minnesota United, which again is the first owner, they haven't ever been sold. Um, So they're still local. Um, Everybody right, with, the, with, with the pending sale of the wolves to, wolves, to Lorian yes. and a rod that will change that local ownership and of course you yeah, have yeah. the vikings with the wolves they're from new jersey leopold is not from here and um and the twins have never been sold twins have never been sold yeah so yeah, well, that's, since, since the poll has bought them and the right. twins might not be so i was thinking about the twins there a lot of this stuff uh came up when i was talking with this david carter about how why do owners not sell the team if, if the franchise values are always exploding, if you're going, man, you could sell the Vikings today and you could make 700% profit on your purchase from 15 years ago. Okay, well, then why don't they sell them? Why are the poll ads entering their third generation of ownership of this club? Um, the Wilfs, by all indication, they've never given any. They seem to only be growing their relationship to the Vikings, building you know a new practice facility, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and And... I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens with Lori and Rodriguez and how they kind of approach their ownership here. Um, but it it just becomes this thing of why is it if the value is exploding that it's not viewed the way that you might traditionally view an asset and say, oh, I'm going to I'm going to move on from this. No, sales are rare in pro sports. Once you get in, it's like, you know, there must be some kind of special elixir that comes with having that kind of an asset and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not only am I not going to get rid of it, I might pass it on through generations of, of, of family ownership, you know? Yeah. I think part of it is that it's fun, right? It's a, it's a fun family business to be in by and large Two, like, even with these franchise valuations going up, I think there are a lot of, you know, most teams are making a operational profit during the year too. So they're, they're able to run it as a, as a business that, makes money and you know appreciates in value so why 
you probably wouldn't want to sell an asset like that unless you start to get an indication that there is some sort of uh, you know edge of the cliff and that's going to start going down, which I don't think right. we do, right? The only thing I can think of that we talk about that you and I have kind of casually talked about is as you just kind of look at it, like, is there some sort of end to the the growth curve of all these TV contracts? And we, we've talked a lot of TV yeah. stuff you know, over the last, you know, year or two with national TV, with all these regional sports networks and maybe some of that bubble starting to to burst a little bit. But it also seems like there's revenue streams waiting in the wings to to kind of make up yeah. for all that. And in, in that even if there was kind of a, a leveling off of that, which doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon, that there's that there's other avenues that it's still going to be okay. Well you and I just as casual conversation have talked on the side about how to me, I look at the sports TV landscape because I got so fascinated by that Big Ten contract. When that Big Ten contract right. got signed, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, and already there's been some little waves of <laughs> what what exactly happened there. But um, I do wonder about that. I but I think you're absolutely right that even if you were to say, um, you know, some of these regional broadcast deals are kind of a little shaky, or the person who jumped into them with Diamond Sports didn't understand what they were doing, or you know, overexceeded their you know financial obligations, whatever. You do seem right that there is people ready to go. We'll take that. We will absolutely take that right now and go steer that ship and try to find ways to make money off of it. Um, which again kind of ties into this thing of way of thinking versus whatever the current model of thinking is, which is very growth focused. Like sports seems to be an area of, and I remember thinking this during not to boy, we're just going to jump here, but I remember thinking this during COVID-19. I was like a little disgusted by it, but also amazed by it. What were the institutions that were deemed essential to human life during COVID-19, we are going to do right. this no matter what. It was like hospitals, air travel, grocery stores, and then pretty much on the heels of these was, we're going to get pro sports back up and running by yep. any means necessary. We're going to get them on TV. We're going to send them to a bubble down in Florida. We're going to do whatever we can to make people have the ability to watch sports. And I remember just thinking, wow, this is such a strange thing that we as a society and these groups of people that run these things have decided we have to keep this going. Um, and I think part of it is because they realize the money is tied in with this broadcast element. We can still make money as long as we're on TV, even with no fans in the stands, yeah. we can make money. Um, and so anyway, I, to me, this stuff is fascinating. Is there an end point? It surely doesn't seem like it's coming anytime soon, but I don't no. know what that means. You know, what are we yeah. talking about here? What, how far away are we from the $10 billion franchise? It's like if the Yankees or the Dodgers or one of these, you know, absolute upper echelon franchises, you know, it would hit that number. You just know it would hit $10 billion. Um, but I don't know what that means for places like here and, you know, 1.5 billion. I was thinking about it. Is this a steal? <laughs> did, did, did they, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's less than they're currently valued at. Right. And these are all the Forbes right. valuations. It's like a, you know, a, a hundred or $200 million less. And, you know, part of that was that it, it seems like they wanted, you know, a, a commitment to local, you know, to keeping the team here, yes. things like that. And, you know, that's, yes. that's, you know, remains to be seen, but it seems like they, the, the intentions are good there at least, but yeah, it's, 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 it is fascinating. Cause it's just like, every time I think we've gotten to a point where it's like, wow, that number really went up and then it just goes up again. And like, yes. you know, you, you added it all up and it's like what $8 billion total tied up in these, you know, six franchises we're talking about, you know, a lot of it with, um, you know, you know, a lot of it with the Vikings, but you know, the, the twins, the, the Timberwolves, both, both valued at over 
at, at over a billion dollars. And you know, yeah. the wild certainly valuable. Even the the United, I was a little surprised about that. Their valuation yes. up over five hundred million, right? Yes, I was really surprised by how you know. But again, you go back and you look at the fact that the Wilfs just bought a, an MLS franchise, and it was reported for four hundred to four hundred fifty million. So that number seems. I mean, United. This again goes to a, you know, this thing of, and this is why the links element really fascinated me. This idea of these sports that whatever you want to say are the dominant pro sports in America. I think you'd probably say NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL hangs in there tight. Okay. MLS is coming up. What is the the value of a WNBA franchise? How is that changing in relationship to the way that I think you are talking about Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark coming storming into the WNBA. Yeah. Do, do not kid yourself. That is going to drastically change. I think viewership relationship to, to that sport. Um, what does that mean for a value that wall street journal I wrote about in there, but the wall street journal had that fascinating um, expose or whatever you want to call it, or just really good reporting on the fact that they had learned that there were minority shares sold in the Seattle storm that put the value of the franchise at over a hundred million dollars. This came one year after the Las Vegas aces were sold as a franchise for $2 million. Yeah. Right. I think my number is right. Yeah. $2 million. Something doesn't add up there. That was, that's a big gap, but it also Seattle's it's a crazy a- gap. Yeah. Yeah. No, but again, that goes to valuation. How are we yeah. about who's valuing them? How are they being valued? What are people thinking is possible? Somebody with the Seattle storm might be going, there is a sea change coming. We are about to start tapping into something. Maybe there's TV deals coming. Who knows? Um, but anyway, I, I think that there's this, this feeling of, okay, where is the top line? And it's like, well, even if the top line for the Vikings is X, well, what does that mean for teams like the United? What does it mean for teams like the wild? I mean, you'll probably know this better than me, but the, are the wild our second best attended franchise in the state right now? Would it go Vikings wild? In terms of like percent of seats sold seats sold. I think it would probably be the wild. I think the, I think United does really well too. They tend to, they they tend to sell out, but you know, I think in terms of like how long they've been doing it, um, just kind of the steadiness of them in the wild had a little, I mean, even we can call it a dip where they weren't quite selling out, but the crowds were still pretty good right before, right before they got Parisi and Suter back in kind of the early 2010s. But yeah. aside from that, it's been pretty consistent sellouts for them oh, kind of right. since, since the start of the franchise more than 20 years ago. And, you know, it's kind of, I can remember the Vikings having some attendance problems before Randy Moss got here. Like they were the local they were blackouts, local blackouts. And they had yeah. to like, you know, team, you know, General Mills would buy three thousand seats in the upper deck at the last minute, and then they would not be blacked out, and we would you know, we would worry about if they were going to be blacked out locally and things like that. We haven't had to worry about that forever, as far as I can remember. So yeah, it's it's interesting that 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 dynamic has changed a little bit too. There was an incredible back when contraction was happening with the Twins, local efforts to buy like tranches of season tickets from local businesses as like a method to supposedly keep the team in the state. All this kind of stuff. I mean. Y- I the reason that I brought up the attendance was because it goes back to the thing that we've talked about. If you've got two teams, you know, these aren't small arenas. United plays in front of 19,000 fans. I've gone to games there. It's an incredible atmosphere. Um, are they drawing better than the Minnesota Timberwolves? Like, what does that mean? Does it mean anything? Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Are they drawing better than the Twins? Does it mean, you know, I, I doubt they're drawing better than the Twins just because the Twins have such a larger stadium. But anyway, it goes back to this thing of valuation not having quite as much to do with some of the traditional sort yeah. of fan-based metrics that we're all used to. Um, and that's why I think when we talk about where is this going, is it growing? Um, it sure seems to me that 
they are going to continue to find areas to grow, even if it has nothing to do with the product necessarily in your community and how it relates to, to the fans that love the team or root for the team. And that if my pie in the sky thing with all of this is trying to understand what I would love to get a better understanding of is how owners relate to their ownership. What is this thing? You know, like how do you view yourself once you get into that seat? It's, it's sort of a, a big desire of mine to learn more about because I think sports are a common ground for a lot of society. It's, it's, it's relational. It brings in different age groups. It brings in different races. It brings in all kinds of uh, people from different parts of your community, different parts, outstate, in-state, metro, everywhere want to come be a part of it, right? And yet the people at the very top are somehow, you know, I would say less than visible is how I would describe it. You know what I mean in terms of what do they think about their team? What do they think about owning this franchise? What's their relationship to the state? I don't know if that's a it's something that's just kind of become the commonplace thing. Now, Laurie and A-Rod, A-Rod's done a little bit of a press tour as he's getting ready to take over. You know, it's right. like maybe maybe they'll kind of change that and be a little bit more uh, open. Maybe it's just that, you know, Sid is no longer talking to every owner on WCCO radio. Every, <laughs> every <laughs> do that too. <laughs> but anyway, I just, I just think it's so fascinating that these teams have such deep roots here, uh, such emotional ties to the state. And what does it mean to be in that position and how do they view it? Do they view it as an asset? Are they like, Hey, we're with $4 billion. Wow. Or is it like, well, yeah, but I don't care about that. You know, it, or does it even matter to them? I, I don't, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what you would relate it to. Maybe it's like buying a house or something, you know, making it. I, I don't know. I don't know how, how, um, how the people who own these teams kind of view that relationally. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I, I look forward to you hopefully unearthing some of that second piece of it as, as time goes on. I know these owners can be a little bit of a challenge, not just to get a hold of, but to kind of pin down on some of these things. But I think it'd be interesting to kind of know that. But for now, now we have the piece that you wrote. It's on Star Tribune, startribune.com, just kind of looking at the evolution of these valuations. Go check that out when you do get a chance. Jeff Day, always good to catch up. Let's do this again soon. All right. Thank you very much. Good stuff from Jeff. As always, hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, I think if if TV stuff is some of the bubble that could burst at some point, and not anytime soon that I can tell, um, expansion into international markets feels like it's the, uh, the the kind of elixir to that, that there's still not unlimited growth potential, but a lot of growth potential that a lot of these leagues, like like we talked about, can 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 get into uh, over the years and kind of expand, whether it's ticket sales, merchandise, even eventually TV stuff, uh, that would be pretty interesting. So, you know, they there's there's money to be made in a lot of different ways, even if some of these revenue streams dry up or get lesser over the years. And, you know, I don't think it's an endless straight line up for these teams. But like I think like Jeff said in the, his research and what he found, doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. Speaking of not changing anytime soon, let's get to the cooler. Aaron Rodgers gave a lengthy interview to The Athletic talking about kind of his kind of re-airing the grievances that he has with the Packers about drafting Jordan Love and how he was treated, how the communication was in the last three or four years that he was there. Strange to me that he's still talking about that. I mean, it's been over three months since pretty much we found out he was going to be traded. It's been over two months since he said he wanted to be traded. It's been over one month since he actually was traded. I don't know why 
he needs to keep talking about this. But hey, it's good for me. It's good for content, as they say. Um, so you know, in this in this interview, I thought it was pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, all the Jordan Love stuff, we kind of knew that already. Um, interesting that there was reports that um, Rogers' agent went to uh, went to the Packers with uh, with an ultimatum: either fi- trade Rogers or fire GM Brian Gutekunst. Rodgers would not confirm that, referred that to his agent, who did not comment on it. So take that as a, hey, that probably did happen. And, you know, the Packers did not acquiesce at that point. Rodgers goes on and has another MVP season, ends up signing a contract to stay with the team early in 2022. But things start to unravel and even had been unraveling from there. Best part about it to me, though, that I want to get to quick before we go, is just kind of some of the byplay of the communication over the last few months talking about how he was supposed to meet with Gutekunst in California in January because Gutekunst was going to be there for a college scouting thing. And that, man, they just didn't, they didn't connect, a misconnection. It just kind of sounded to me like, hey, friends made a plan, a loose plan, and it didn't work out. Rogers, quote, life happens. When I hit him back, he'd, he'd, he had gotten, uh, gotten a hold of him, I think, by text. Uh, Gutekunst had gotten a hold of text by, a hold of Rogers by text. He said, life happens. When I hit him back, he was already out of town, but it wasn't like I hit him back five days later. He hit me up like in the morning of one day. I hit him up either the night or the next morning or the next day, and then he was gone. Man. Yeah. Um, he doubled down on this idea that the Packers needed to call him on FaceTime because he has bad cell reception in California, and that was part of the communication breakdown. said, did Brian Gutekunst text me more than I texted him? Yeah, but did I ghost him? No. What? <laughs> going on here this feels like a conversation people are having in high school right now and rogers continuing i texted him back they were back and forth that we had and so this is the story you want to go with you're going to stand on this hill of austerity and say that arguably in the conversation of the best player in your franchise history you're going to say i couldn't get a hold of him and that's why we had to move on oh god aaron rogers i just he wears me out this is all still compelling meaningless theater but standing on the hill of austerity caught my attention it just it felt like he was reading lines from like a new Wes anderson movie that was written for jason schwartzman i don't know he's just he's just talking in circles wants his own version of history written and try as i might to stay away from it i had to mention some of these comments the most recent ones in the athletics so there you go that is the continuation of the aaron Rodgers saga That'll do it for me today. More to come on Friday's show as well. Have a great rest of your day. Back at it again tomorrow.